This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 120, about The Defenders, season 1, episode 8, The Defenders. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to this final episode of the first season of The Defenders, also entitled The Defenders. Would an episode by any other name smell as cool as this episode? (laughs) I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. Yes, welcome back, everyone. This is the finale of uh, the first season of The Defenders, and we are on episode 120. If you are just joining us, you have 120 episodes to go back and enjoy, and you can find those at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes for those of you who enjoy a good old Apple podcast, or you can go onto any other good or evil podcast catcher and search Defenders TV Podcast. And we also have our prize draw at the end of this episode, so Mm -hmm. thank you to everyone in advance for all your feedback, comments, and discussion. Uh, I must say, I have enjoyed all the comments, uh, loads of them, uh, this season of uh, The Defenders. They've been really good at not spoiling us as well, keeping to our spoiler post idea. It's yes. Really well. Uh, if you want to join us over on our Facebook group, just go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. While we won't be podcasting for a little while after The Defenders, we're always posting over there as well. So come over and join the discussion. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, though, with this, we must crack on in to the episode. Um, Derek, what are the details of this episode? Well, the series finishes out the way most of the series has gone, being written by Lauren Smith-Hisrich and Marco Ramirez, uh, who are the writers for many of the episodes throughout the season. Are we sure it wasn't J.R.R. Tolkien, by <laughs> any chance? With so many multiple endings at the end of this episode... I did think The Return of the King. They may have taken a little bit of inspiration from J.R.R. Tolkien and George R.R. Martin, which we'll probably get into during the episode. Uh, but this episode was directed by Farron Blackburn, who's been on board for some of the Defender shows before. He was on uh, Iron Fist, Felling True at Roots, uh, and did two episodes of Daredevil, Nelson v. Murdoch and World on Fire. An excellent British director. We've talked to him quite a bit over on Twitter, actually. He's a lovely guy. Uh, just got picked up for a full series of written by himself over on Netflix, an untitled Supernatural show. Um, looking forward to seeing what he does over on his own, but it might take him out of doing future Defenders episodes, unfortunately. Yeah, I think uh, Felling Tree with Roots was a great episode of Iron Fist. If I remember rightly, it was quite bloody, quite violent, uh, that one. Uh, I do like my blood. That's why you love Game of Thrones as well, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> and Hannibal. Uh-huh. <laughs> and horror in general, even That's though it scares me uh, half to death. Just wait till you see it. Of course, this is a spoiler-filled episode, and anyone who is just joining us, this is spoiler-filled for the finale, so please go back uh, and listen to our previous seven episodes, um, and join us there, and on to the finale. Yes. Well, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Drastic times call for drastic measures, and after much soul-searching and persuasion, even Luke Cage, along with the other defenders, agree to blow up the Midland Circle building to defeat the Hand. Beneath them, in the darkness, under Midland Circle, and the vast skeleton of Shao Lao the Undying, 
Gauna explains to Danny Rand that the dragon bones are the source of the substance used by the hand for resurrection. As above, so below, destruction is sure to ensue. As Colleen and Claire Temple place the explosives to destroy the building, so the harvest of the dragon bones by the hand will cause widespread destruction of New York City. In the skyscraper, Colleen and Claire are confronted by Bakuto, who cuts off Misty Knight's arm as she arrives to help. But as Colleen kills Bakuto, his headless body falls and sets off the timer for the explosives. Further down in the belly of the beast, Jessica Jones, Matt Murdock and Luke Cage arrive to rescue Danny Rand from Electra and the Hand. In the heat of battle, Matt's senses detect the timer ticking down and he gets the others to leave as he remains to plead with Electra to shun her darkness and recognise the good within her. As the timer ticks down, Matt and Electra are together as the building implodes around them, as well as Gao and Murakami who fail to escape the cavern. In the aftermath of the incident at Midland Circle, the loss of Matt is felt throughout the remaining defenders, but most keenly with Karen and Foggy, as Danny, Luke and Jessica begin to move on with their lives, protecting the city of New York. A battered Matt Murdock slowly wakes in a convent as a call rings out for Sister Maggie. That was a shocking ending to the episode, and then a really shocking after ending to the episode. Great synopsis, John. Thanks, yeah. I just left out most of the Return of the King sort of multiple endings, basically. <laughs> I am sure we will cover them in our top five. I'm course. sure we will. <laughs> so then, on to point one. Claire Temple does bring the team together. Chris, you go to top of the class, gold star, smiley face, order of merit, order of the garter, uh, you name it. Order of the Phoenix oh, from uh, yeah. Harry Potter. Order of the Phoenix. Congratulations, you're the winner. <laughs> Thank of you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I get to Pasco when I do not collect two hundred pet dollars. So yes, Claire brings the team together. This is something we've I've been postulating for oh five seasons now. Yeah, and I'm glad they actually went there. I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has been the the heart, if you will, almost. The, 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 she is the soul behind, she's the connecting thread behind all of them. Yeah. And yes, she is the heart bypass of the defenders. <laughs> she is the pacemaker of the group, uh, <laughs> if you will. She keeps the heart ticking. I didn't think they were going to do it. I thought they were relegating Claire to a, to a supporting character, mm-hmm. which, yes, she is. She is a supporting character in each one of these. But because of who she is and the fact that she has relationships with each of these characters, each of the members of the Defenders. It didn't seem right that they were going to relegate her to the point of a Patsy Walker, who had a small piece in the season, but not instrumental. And she had to, Claire Temple had to be instrumental. She is the night nurse for this universe. She is the Linda Carter of this universe. Uh, sorry, Linda Carter was the original Night Nurse in the comics. Excuse me, I literally went there. Obviously, everyone knows who I'm going to talk about. I obviously mean Wonder Woman. No, I do not. Uh, yes, anyway. I'm glad they did this. I really did. They went... She individually convinces them that they have to do this. But more importantly, she managed to calm her lover. It's probably the wrong way of saying this. She... She agrees with Luke, right? And then does the massive butt 
Yeah. And that's what, well, A, triggers the sweet sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not Luke going, this is not how I do things. I don't blow things up. I protect. I may be unbreakable, but I do not do this type of thing. He was ready to walk. He was ready to walk without Claire encouraging him and, and explaining to him why this is the best situation. He probably would have walked and Jessica kind of rolls in behind her and, and explains a little bit more why she's going to do it, which is just so she can get on with the rest of her life. Yeah, she, she, I think she's feeling quite sweaty in her uh, sort of three-day, four-day, five-day-old pair of uh, socks uh, and clothes and all that kind uh-huh. of stuff, yeah. I, I'm glad they 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 have cemented Claire Temple as a foundation in this team. Yeah, yeah. Like, even Colleen says to her later on, she says, um, you save just as many people, you just don't get in the papers about it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, that was really cool. I think, um, as, as you said, Chris, like for her to get that moment and, and to bring them together is like really cool. Um, and I think, you know, Colleen gets her moments as well here, uh, which I thought was really, um, strong. And I loved how the two of them played off one another. I have to say, um, Claire, I, absolutely loved her tiptoeing around uh, whilst Colleen was laying the charges and fighting Bakuto uh, and and the henchmen coming in. I absolutely loved that she was tiptoeing around with like a massive spanner in her hand, uh, taking on, you know, Colleen's got a katana, Claire Temple has got a spanner uh, <laughs> to, to fight off the evil hordes of ninjas from the hand, you know? Absolutely. I do. I think, look, I think we need to get treat that scene in particular separately because I have a whole host of comments on that. Oh, good. Oh, very good. But what I did want to say is I giggled. No, wait. I I don't know how to probably... I I harumphed, if harumphed (laughs) is a word. Basically, as soon as Jessica did say... This is grand. We'll all sleep easier once this is done, and uh, we can all get back on with our lives. Everything is going to be great. I'm like, really? You had to say it, really, <laughs> because now that you said it, it's not going to happen. Something terrible is going to happen. <laughs> of course, guys, you've given her some great lines. Why did you have to give her that one? But that is a Jessica thing to do, definitely. And it does kind of bring us on to the next point, which is the the mission impossible. The rest of the episode really has taken up. It really screws with a top five point system that we have had for our 119 episodes so far, when 45 minutes of the episode is really just one big fight. But we're going to try and break it into our five points. Um, yeah, the next point is the mission what's happening with the defenders themselves. Uh, We will talk about Colleen separately in a second. Um, But yeah, the majority of the episode is taken over to this fight. It's some really interesting reveals within within this as they go down into the uh, heart of where the Hand are standing around, taking apart Shaolau, the dragon. So we learn that that's what they've been looking for. It's the bones of the dragon Shaolau. That that is the substance that they've been looking for. So, we were right. Yes. But actually, that's not... For I took that that wasn't Shaolau. So Shaolau is still in Kung Lung. Doesn't Gao say that there was a host of them ro- roaming the world? She does, and you're right. There, there is a bit of confusion in that. I was, I was watching, I watched it a couple of times actually this episode. Um, she says it's the last known deposit of these creatures. So they did. There was many of them roaming around on the earth when she was younger. This is the last known deposit, and Danny calls her out on and says you're disrespecting the memory of Shao Lao, to which she says, well, you punched him in the heart. 
Um, so, which is a, a great <laughs> which is comment. a fair point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yes, it's, it, it, she's desecrating the memory of Shaolin by cutting these bones apart because it's the last the last known deposit of these. Yeah, I mean, it may be Shaolin, it may not be, but it's a gateway to presumably somewhere on the same plane as Kunlun. So, I mean, it's probably Shaolin. So I'm going to completely go against the two of you on this. And I'm not trying to be argumentative. So who is it Just then? because it's our final. Who is so, it, Chris? Which dragon? I think it's... <laughs> So, it's not, it's Shaolai's brother. It's, no, so I took this as being that because it was sealed by an iron fist, it can't, like, it. I didn't take it as a portal. I took it as a place underneath, on Earth, on that realm, where there was one of the last deposits of a dragon. Like, that this was one of the last known areas. It was sealed by the iron fist previously, because mm-hmm. it was, and it could only be opened by the iron fist. That entrance, yeah. Yes, that entrance. So I didn't take it that they were being magically transported because they were at the entrance, but there was not, like they didn't close the entrance; they just buried it. So I'm like, it didn't. I didn't get the sense that they kind of got went from the earthly plane to the heavenly plane no. as they stepped through that entrance. No, they didn't. Uh, I think it's. I think it's the exit on the other side. Possibly is at the other side where um, where Kunlun might be. This is the entrance to it from New York. There is, a, there is, in fact, a moment where Gao says, when we remove the bones of Shaolau, that's what's going to destabilize New York. So the size of that dragon being underneath the city of New York, when they take out the bones, that's going to destabilize the city. Uh, it's effectively what, what they're saying. That's how they're going to destroy the city of New York. So it, it is, it, it's a bit confusing, definitely, that conversation that they have. I, definitely. I, I agree with all of you, really, on, on that. It's definitely confusing. I think the only thing is the conversation between Danny and Gao, where he says, you're desecrating the memory of Shao Lao by doing this. So I don't know whether that's because that is an ancestor of Shao Lao. That, and a that's version of Shao Lao? A previous Shao Lao? Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. I, I, I just, yeah, I took it as being, like, potentially another version or basically a Shao Lao's brother, yeah. his sister. Like, Shao Lao's kind one of... One of his child. Yeah, like, Shao Lao is reborn, so it's... Shaolau, I don't know, 75.2 or something like that. Ginger dragon or something on in Android speak. Let's all agree to, to say they don't have enough in this episode for us to confirm either way. But we know it's a okay. dragon. We know that Danny's really appalled by what they're doing now that he's found out what they're doing. Yeah. Which, to be honest, Gao was saying he punched him in the heart, as you said. Fantastic. I really like that. I do like Gao even more now. Absolutely. <laughs> I I do like the fact that we we kind of were guessing that the substance was something like this. We thought it was chi, and then we kind of went back and forth on chi, dragon, mm-hmm. not dragon. So we were... I say we take a, a point five, We half a point for this. I agree. If we, it, like, I'm, I'm happy enough. Because again, yeah, Gao does say we're looking for the essence of what gives you your chi, and that's why we're taking the bones. So yeah, I, I give us a point five, even a point seven five on that one. And presumably that is why Shaolau the Undying can resurrect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. And I, I think, look, it slightly puts to bed some of the Shaolau Kung Lung elements of this story, which I'm, I'm kind of happy. They they did tie it. They tied the substance with the hand, and etc. Yeah. They tied that in a neat bow. A confusing bow to some, but almost it, it, it wrapped the story, if you will. Yeah. So I'm happy about that. Um 
I have to say I loved Matt, Jessica and Luke. Like you just as they walked towards the this down this corridor, I was like, oh, and they just see Matt's kind of running his fingers as long. I was like, what's he? Do? Oh, and then the ripping of the Luke Cage ripping doors open is always great. Yeah, that was cool. That was very cool because it looked like proper metal that he was ripping. Ben uh, Coulter, like it, it looked really good. Uh, how they did that. Absolutely. And quickly, uh, congratulations to Luke Cage that won a stunt award this weekend uh, in a stunt Emmy for the series of Luke Cage. So uh, he's obviously learned something from uh, from the series Luke Cage doing some cool stunts here as well. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I actually, I missed that. I saw that you just posted this uh, as pr- prior to recording, which was fantastic. Uh, I have to say I love the Super Friends comment. It's like, ah, oh, I was so glad that... You, I'm paraphrasing of what Matt says, but it's along the lines of, I'm so glad that you guys are here with me. Mm-hmm. And then Luke turns around and says, I'm not going to hug you. I was like, even though I had seen it in the trailer uh-huh. and it was that Super Friends comment, I was like, yeah, I, I'm I'm very happy with that. It still got the resounding kind of belly laugh. Absolutely. And the one that got it for me is, is Jessica going, are you guys ready? And both both Matt and Luke responding with no. And she goes, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so uh, so they're not, they aren't the Avengers. They aren't standing in the middle of the street having a camera circle them round and round and round uh, as they jump up for this challenge. They're not too excited about going to their possible deaths, um, which the Avengers don't seem to worry about too much. Uh, I like that. I like that there's this big difference between them and, and the other Marvel hero team. They built this world in more reality, if you will. Uh-huh. So this is this is our street level heroes, and I think that's what they've been pitching for five seasons coming up to this. But even the Avengers moment, the pinnacle of the Defenders, it even still felt more grounded in reality. It felt yeah. realistic. It felt like this could be okay. Yes, there's a bulletproof guy and a girl who can carry a lift and a guy who runs around who's blind and a guy with a glowing face I I'm get that dragon. I'm a big dragon I get that <laughs> I'm dead Nietzsche okay I'm, I'm slowly I'm losing my point here but you understand it, it the essence of the writing the essence of the cinematography the directing the, the producing of this whole series while I've commented and criticised some of the things I still have to admit leading up to this climactic battle of what it is this was my culmination of the coming up to the avengers scene in the original avengers assemble where they're standing and the the cameras panning around them that was what we got as the guys got to the bottom yes we got that four of them there the four of them were fighting off an unholy number of ninjas and masters of the 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 ninja arts because i don't want to call some of them like some of them were using guns but potentially they were ninja guns i don't know um but they it was that was the moment we got all that was missing was i i expected a cinematic panning of the four of them when they kind of were back to back we got an upside down one to a degree Mm. and it was like it wasn't the same as the josh whedon cut where you can see that the music blaring and that what it was. But we got that. They got down and all because Jessica was the bait. 
I know. That's such a great moment. Love that scene as Jessica is, is standing in the lift with Luke and, uh, and Matt. And Luke says, I've come up with a plan, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> and damn right she doesn't. Uh, she plays just about, just about pitches it right. Uh, but effectively, she's just trying to keep everybody talking while the other two come in and kick a bit of ass. Uh, and then she gets in to kick a good bit of ass too. She does a, does a good job here, actually. I think I complained a little bit early on in the season in the, in the Midland Circle fight that Jessica wasn't given much to do. Um, in this fight, she gets a good bit. She gets to take out Electra, which is quite cool. Yeah, no, um, she did a, a good old toss of the cable there. Yeah. Um, for, uh, for Electra. Like this, the, the fight down there was, uh, really, really cool. Again, it's like they interspersed it with Colleen and Bakuto going at it with their katanas. Um, I, I thought that was really, really nice. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, you had, um, Luke Cage going all like, proper like Hulk on them like there's that one moment where he just takes a guy and runs with him and, and crashes him to the floor oh yeah you've got Matt doing his um, acrobatics off the side of the cave walls um, he just used the, the the side of the cave to to just like knock it into uh, the the ninja's the cage goes all bulletproof and you have that great scene where he covers Jessica to protect her from the bullets um, so to speak, and like she says, remember this just like old times, you know. <laughs> really nice little moment there. Yeah. Um, one thing I did notice, Electra does like to stay out of the action until right at the end. I mean, she that moment where um, Iron Fist uh, gets his fist on um, as he's facing off against Gao, which was another uh moment um that I just thought was really cool where she drops her cane and like we've seen her do a force push kind of thing mm-hmm. previously and out comes the fist and, and completely neutralizes it, chucking everyone uh, off. You know, Electra was there at the time and then just kind of goes into the shadows in a nice way that Gao does at the end. I thought she was escaping. I thought she was going out the lift at that point. There's mm-hmm. a it's a really nice moment where she just backs away and her face disappears into the darkness. Absolutely. And I thought she was effectively, because she's a bit of an astute uh, uh, old lady, that she was uh, heading on up the lift or something and getting out of there because she'd realised it was like uh, over. I thought the Iron Fist was really good here. I really thought that Finn Jones played it really well. And the great thing was is that he had... His, his, uh, dragon tattoo on his chest was open and on show as well. Yeah, that really reminded me of, there was a comic book run where Iron Fist kind of no longer has his, the kind of what we would consider the typical Iron Fist kind of outfit, but instead kind of puts on almost like a kind of hoodie. It wasn't even a hoodie. It was a green and yellow tracksuit then, but the zip was down. And that's what this kind of reminded me of. The zip was down. He's in a deep V. You wear that out, it is a deep V. I get it, you don't want to do up your top button, but honey, we're seeing way too much. It's like, you expect that you're going to get like a nipple slip, and it's like, well, that's a that's an R-rated thing now, because we've got a man's nipple. Well, that's it, he's got the Marvel nipples um, on the show. Uh, you know, Steve Rogers has got the abs, uh, Iron Fist has got the Marvel nipples. Yes, there we go. Uh, and the tattoos. Derek, what did you think? 
What I loved in here is that we see Jessica Jones also has a special move as well. She picks people up and drops them to the ground in a proper WWF move. Like, I'm talking WWF from the 80s here. I'm not getting it wrong. I'm talking Wait, hold on. proper The Worldwide slam. Federation of for Animals? <laughs> I'm talking a Stone Cold Steve Austin, like, pile driver to the to the floor. It's a great move that she's got. I love that she has that. I absolutely love that Luke goes into beast mode when Murakami keeps hitting him with a sword, as we saw in a previous episode with Electra hitting him with a sword. It doesn't do any damage to him. It, it just sparks off him, effectively. Um, so he just gets annoyed at Murakami and just keeps beating him uh, until until he gets rid of him, effectively, um, until they have their later showdown. Um, I love this scene. There's, I could talk about every moment of it. I've seen it a number of times now, and I love, I love this scene. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, if only Jessica Jones had done a Ric Flair, woo, at the end of it, that would have been even cooler yeah there is so much in this fight there's so much going on um you could talk about it all day um but they do effectively all they're down there to do is get danny out of there and take him away uh daredevil is the one that hears the ticker of the clock uh ticking down for um for the explosion of the building uh, and they they do make it out of there they get into the lift and they and they start to head off but i like that half of the hand are following them in fact all the hand are following them i believe that's left uh other than Electra, right so all that's left at the bottom is just mass and Electra? Yes. Really, because Matt has let everybody else go, imparts a little bit of wisdom, wisdom into the ear of Danny, which we kind of possibly hear some of later on. But he's there to try and convince Electra to leave, try and convince her that he loves her and that she's good and that she should leave with him and not take on, take God, go down this path. So I was really shocked by this. I know now saying that it was like, of course they were going to do this. He's going to try and save the love of his life. Mm-hmm. I was more expecting four of them run at her, knock her out, and it would be carrying Electra over the shoulder up in the elevator. Right. And it would be some battle outside in front of the cops, and you would, you would see the hand fighting the vigilantes and the vigilantes winning, and I thought that would wrap it up. So when they, he stayed down there, I was like, okay, they're going to go down this route. I thought it was going to be some huge emotional talk. Right. <laughs> I was not expecting a battle. Jerry Springer. Yeah, a Jerry Springer battle emotion, like hug each other, kiss each other, kick each other, punch each other. They go at it. They beat the shit out of each other. And even though I wasn't expecting it, I thought they did the right thing because even though he is, he is trying to convince her of this, like, that she is still in there. She is venomously, like, going, I am who I am now. And she's trying to argue the opposite. Yeah, but she's definitely arguing it. Yes. I, I feel that she's just enjoying it. Um, she does say it to Matt a little bit later in the conversation that she does it for the fun, really. Because we've seen her be very powerful and very strong. Matt's not superpowered. We're not excessively superpowered anyway. And he's having a, an all-out battle and is still standing at the end of it. And she's the one that's tired. He's tiring her out and she's tiring him out during this fight. Um, it doesn't seem like she's going full force at him, is it? Or is it just that damn good? I, I, I really enjoyed this as well. I, I, I felt that having that moment between the two of them was definitely necessary because in a, in a sense, they, they hadn't had that opportunity uh 
previously to any great extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that it was over fighting. Um, you know, it's what they used to do together in season two. Um, I mean, for me, I think one of the most important parts of that was where he was saying, talking about, you know, the good is in you still. I know it's the, you know, why am I still alive? Yeah. And I really liked her response. I mean, I think Elodie Young has been absolutely fantastic as Electra. I really liked um, that she says, you know, it's not about being good or evil. I feel whole. Um, it's a really good way of of putting across that, you know, Matt's dichotomy of good and evil. And I think, you know, the fact that he is fighting as the devil of Hell's Kitchen underground and his Catholicism, like the, the, there's a motif there, or he's fighting the actual devil in Electra with the, you know, this, this substance coursing through her veins and who has been resurrected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is, it is really symbolic, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that they had the fight. Uh, as well um in the end you know i suppose they get covered in love dust uh, from the implosion really and we know from the ending is but obviously we'll get to that later will she escape this implosion uh, as well uh, murakami who looks pretty much out of it with uh, a bit of steel rod through through his uh, chest. Well, wasn't he in like a blink and you miss it moment he gets thrown yes. from the lift by Luke Cage? Yeah, exactly. Um, where it's like you, you could hardly tell it's him. He's fighting alongside two or three members of the hand. Luke picks him up and just throws him out of the lift and he falls 30 or so stories onto this steel spike. Um, yeah, that, that was pretty shocking as well. Yeah, but he's there with Gao, which was surprising. I thought she had kind of left and I thought like the whole reason... Why Murakami was fighting with Luke and, and Danny and Jessica in, in the lift was because he had either gotten on top of it or was climbing up the, the, the elevator shaft to, mm-hmm. to, to get out as well. He had realized that it, it was done. Um, so, you know, Gao and Murakami are still there. Will they, um, survive? I mean, they're surrounded still by the bones. Mm-hmm. Is, Maybe. Would the bones still, hold up everything if they got within the carcass of the dead dragon. Yeah, so maybe. I thought, and I thought that was a really cool sequence from when the defenders came down in the elevator and the battle and the fight um, through to the Iron Fist and to Electra and Matt. It'd be really uh, interesting if they explain or maybe show in flashback in one of the for, you know future series exactly what Matt Murdoch has whispered to Danny Rand as mm-hmm. well. I think that would be quite cool. Definitely. And one final superhero moment for Jessica Jones in this sequence, uh, as she holds up the falling lift, and we've talked about it a bunch of times during this season about the level of her powers and how strong she actually is. I think she's answering us here. She holds up a lift carrying two pretty heavy guys inside it, and as they're climbing up, she just kind of looks at them and goes, what? <laughs> as in... You don't know how powerful I am. I've never shown you how powerful I am, and I never will again. This is this is me saving you, and just get out, basically. Um, it's a nice little moment for Jessica. It really is. That was, for me, yeah. the, the, the icing on the cake. And I know we've discussed, and I'm not going to retread or rehash old kind of conversations. I don't think she knew how powerful she was. and Because the look on her face, at one point, I was like, does she... Do, do, but... 
Okay, but then you get the very classic Jessica moment of kind of going, "Are you are you just gonna stand there and look all day?" Uh, it was yeah, like, that it was, was cool. It was it was really really good. So guys, look, we we can't talk enough about the, the, this kind of large the largest scene we have of this. Uh, our defenders battling their way through. Mm-hmm. They, that was that's not all our defenders. We still had three other defenders having their own battle on Absolutely. the other, and I suppose that leads us on to the point three. Derek, take it away. Well, it's all fun and games until Misty loses an arm and Bakuta loses his head. And yeah, we finally get the moment. Uh, I've heard many, many times that um, the poor actress who plays Misty Knight gets plagued by this because she's very active on Twitter. She gets plagued with the question of, when are you losing the arm? When are you losing the arm? From the moment she was cast on the show. Um, so putting any emotion into this moment where she loses her arm must have been reasonably difficult for her because she was kind of going, oh, the fanboys get what they want, finally. Uh, but she does a great job. It's a it's a great moment. It's um, Bakuto has separated himself from the other members of the hand. Um, searching around the building finds Colleen and Claire setting the charges. Um, firstly, I like the fact that it's Colleen versus Bakuto again. Um, I think... If he was to come back alive, there's only one person that is able to take him out, right? It has to be Colleen. She has the biggest history with him. There's nobody else that should be allowed to take him out. Definitely. This is her moment for sure. Um, in the same way that Claire got hers in, in the foyer, mm-hmm. uh, convincing everyone to blow up the building. You know, this is great, uh, to see Colleen tackle and fight Bakuto. Um, and I have to say, come on. Like that decapitation was absolutely awesome. Watching it again just before we started where she seems to run his neck along her katana, sort of kick him away and then just does a nice clean chop and off with his head. It's fabulous. Really, Such really a cool. Team. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved I loved these scenes with with Colleen and Claire. I loved Claire with her big spanner or wrench uh-huh. um, that she had fighting with with the ninjas and, and the minions that came in. I think like you, you hear kind of a clatter of metal against one another. She's like having a sword fight with a big wrench. Um, I really liked that. Uh-huh. Her phone going off as well. She was <laughs> creeping around. And I mean, to have Misty come in, you know, that moment where you've got the three ladies lined up, uh, Misty with the gun, Colleen, who I think has just been sliced along her back by Bakuto, uh, sort of coming back and Claire there with, with her wrench. I really, really enjoyed seeing that. To me, it almost felt a bit like in episode four where you have the four defenders facing off against Electra in, in the Royal Dragon. And here you have, you know, the daughters of the dragon along with the night nurse uh, teaming up to to protect each other and, and to 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 help the defenders by putting down the explosives absolutely. and dispatching Bakuto. Like absolutely awesome for me. Yeah. Uh, if this I is thought. any indication I really want to see Edward of the Dragon show. I want to see these these three characters working together on a full show. Definitely. I, I'm I'm in agreement with both of you. Like, although I will say one thing, I thought they were going to kill Claire here. Oh yeah. I yeah, like no, I with know. that heading part. I was like, oh god, he's going to kill Claire. Mm-hmm. That's going to obviously free up Luke for Jessica later on. 
But more importantly, that's what will drive Colleen and Misty to go crazy and like kill his ass. Because she she was she was a bit back and forth. Like she wasn't amazingly beating him at one point. Um, so I was like, okay, then the rage takes over. So I was like, oh, they they actually could kill Claire here, and this actually cements the defenders together. The death of their connecting force. I that flashed through my head for like, oh, well, yeah, okay, obviously not. It was literally a flash, and now I've thought more about it. But I th- I did think that that's where they were gonna go. Yeah, I think we we kind of commented on that a few times during during our coverage of the other shows. We kept going. Please don't kill Claire, because that's a stupid way to bring these characters together. We don't want to see her character go just to bring them together, is what we kept saying to ourselves. But in this moment, as Bakuzo has her head in between Collins and his swords, I absolutely thought we were going to see the beheading of the Night Nurse. Yeah, but let's call it now. Daughters of the Dragon, late 2018, early 2019. Okay. I'm up for covering it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Definitely. But yes, we do get that moment with uh, with Misty losing an arm um, from the sword of Bakuto. And it's not intended, is it? It's effectively because he's he's knocked off balance uh, from killing Claire. That's why he yeah. takes the arm. Misty, Misty saves Claire from having her head chopped off, basically. Yeah. And in that instance, yeah, she, she gets her arm swiped. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we we all knew it was going to happen. Oh yeah. yeah. But I thought it was another fake out like they did in Luke Cage where she gets shot in the arm. We all thought she was going to lose the arm. Uh-huh. I thought she was going to get a really bad cut and there was going to be some joke, something like, "Oh my god, that's near the exact same place I got shot." I was expecting that. Mm-hmm. But I got ruined by social media. Yeah, I mean basically we knew it was going to happen. Yeah. We we all knew it was going to happen. It was uh, it was put out 2 weeks after the show aired that she has got her arm. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on because that's part of the endings. Um, one other point for this, it's a very small point, but I think it's important to call out because the surrounding members of kind of the Defenders family have been in the precinct for a couple of episodes. We kind of bemoaned the fact that we didn't get much with them um, in the precinct. So we get a moment with Trish and Karen discussing the hand and quashing, and the hand quashing the radio story that... Uh, that Trish had had earlier on in the season. It's good to see those two characters working together. I'd love to see them uh, together in a future series. I'd love to see Trish crossing over to the Punisher, possibly, because that's the next time we're going to see Karen. Um, Because they're both two forms of media, and they both have a lot of interest in these cases. They both cover them in their own different ways. So kind of interest to have Trish and Karen working together. But unfortunately, Karen, because her friend and the reason she's there is Matt, she doesn't get to kind of share her experience of being around a superhero. It's only Trish that gets to share her experience of being around Jessica and that Jessica is the fire that she's around. Everything burns when Jessica's around and Trish is there to pick up the pieces, but also that Jessica has been there for her entire life as well, um, taking care of her. So I think it's a lovely sentiment. I thought this was nice. Yes, we said we hadn't got enough of these characters. I prefer Patsy to Karen. I don't know where they're going with the character of Karen. Okay, son. Even in this scene, she's still trying to. She she points to the one of the photos, uh, where it's probably Daredevil season two. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like I I kind of assumed it was, but I just didn't see which photo she pointed to. It's the it's it was the warehouse where she was kidnapped and held captive by the hands at the end of season two. Yeah. Yeah, but I was expecting the Eureka moment, where this cements her 
to understand where he was coming from and why he was doing this. But they didn't give her that because if they hadn't given her that moment, right, that leads perfectly over to the Frank Castle Punisher where she needs to, she becomes the the the, the Matt Murdock from, to the Punisher from the last season. She's the one telling him, you can't kill, you can't constantly destroy everything, you need to be a force for good versus the vengeance of evil. That's where I thought they were going to go, but they didn't give her that crystallization. So, unless the the the, the tragic post-battle scene is that Eureka moment, then I'm a bit... Unless yeah. they have to explain it in The Punisher. I think it might be. I think um, I think in the precinct, I, I think the big thing for me was um, after the battle, uh, where you get Karen and Foggy effectively waiting for Matt to come through the door. We've seen um, Jessica back with Malcolm and Trish. Luke is there with Misty and, uh, and Claire, and da- Danny and Colleen walk back through the door. And it's just waiting, and, and I think Farron Blackburn does a really good job here of just holding um, that that shot on the door and panning towards it, and then back on Karen and Foggy, then back to the door. And to me, that is one of the most poignant scenes of this entire series. Yeah. Um, really powerful stuff, really emotional. I think that was really good for, for Foggy and Karen. Um, I, I did like Trish and Karen's moment to discuss, you know, the hand and, and so on. But part of me, I think overall, looking at the whole precinct stuff, I'm not entirely sure I'm bought into that. In terms of how it could have been done, maybe over a 10 episode series. But I, I thought that little moment with Foggy and Karen uh, was absolutely excellent. It's interesting as well, I think, Chris, what you said, like on, on Facebook, there's a little discussion there about Karen and that actually they need to start driving Karen's character forward as Karen. Yes. Um, that she needs to have some more backstory, more development, whether it's that she does her crash and burn thing, like we were saying from season one or two, waiting for the whole drug addiction side of Karen, because at the moment she just seems to be this foil for for Matt Murdock and now that she's obviously involved with the Punisher series um, it'll be interesting to see how she's written for the Punisher series but you know she's against Matt Murdock putting on the Daredevil suit because he's going out to protect New York City and not being violent about it or using you know minimal violence not killing yet She's kind of bought in to an extent of the Punisher being uber-violent to get his justice. Or she's at least sort of allowing him to to do that without um, really challenging him. And it'll be interesting to see what's her take on him effectively spraying a hell of a lot of bullets uh, around New York and killing a hell of a lot of people, which is what I'm expecting in the <laughs> first series of The Punisher. Yeah. Um, and how she confronts him about that or deals with that because I think the problem for Karen's character at the moment is her logic um, as a character is getting a little bit screwy because she's against some one person protecting New York City but is kind of backing and, and getting invested in another person uh, protecting the city but through much more violent means um, 
And I, I, it'll be interesting to see. I really hope that they actually just develop Karen as Karen. And I think John Tara Higley said that on, on the Facebook group. And it's something that I, I think I would agree with. To yeah, be honest. absolutely. I think, yeah. I think the real need for this character, this character of Karen is that she has her own life. Yeah. That yeah. There has to be something going on for her as a person. She's certainly not just waiting around for Matt. She's been working away from him now for six months. So she's had her own life in, uh, in the newspaper. She's had to, her own, her own storylines going on. So this wasn't the season four. Obviously, it's only an eight episode series. We'll hopefully see more development of her in, in Punisher. Oh, definitely. I think, yeah, going off on a tangent there, really, but it was just something that I know, um, for the spoiler post on Facebook, you know, there had been a few, uh, sort of comments on, and it was an interesting little discussion, actually. I, I think as well, it doesn't take away from Karen and Foggy here in this moment in the police precinct Absolutely. having a really powerful moment. And actually it's more their relationship with Matt and what they've been doing through season one and season two, I felt does pay off in full and even were there in the, in Matt's church at the end as well. You kind of get a continuation of that. So that was really good. But I think Chris, you got any thoughts? Yeah. I think that for me summed up, why for eight episodes we've had the supporting characters there why jessica was there with malcolm and trish why luke had missy and claire why danny had his colleague why foggy and karen because we got that emotional scene at the end where you see jessica come in and go up to malcolm and trish you get luke stumbling in with misty and claire you get Danny come in with Colleen and just both of them looking exhausted. And then you get that emo... Like, if I was Kevin Smith, I know Kevin Smith, like, he would have cried at the scene. He's cried at the flash. I know, like, that scene for me was, like, just beautiful. It was perfect. Yeah, It was just... It was what I wanted, why they were there. For all our discussions on Karen... And there's there's many. It's it's mostly me, kind of. But there there's a lot of we've had back and forth discussions, which mm-hmm. are both on air and off air. The scene with Deborah Wall, Foggy Nelson, Eldon Hansen. So for just having those two characters there, who have we've seen grow attached and battle, be the supporting characters. I don't like saying secondary characters, but like. To be some of the other main characters in the Daredevil universe, mm-hmm. the the two seasons we've got, having that poignant moment where their worst fears are realized, and the acting by the two actors were amazing. I have to admit, I just this for me was like, yeah, you've done it. You've managed to put a pin on a two season mini thread where their greatest worry is now come true. Yeah, it's it's fascinating and it's really, really well put together. I love the scene and it's only a small point, but I think it was important to have it as a discussion point for the episode because it is really important for those two characters, particularly because of where they're going to go. We'll cover a bit more of it in our final point. Yes, absolutely. Um, the endings, The Return of the Devil by J.R. Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot going on in here. Yeah. Um, but first up, really, we, we kind of have to mention this. This is the conversation we'd had last week about Luke and Jessica uh, now being in some serious trouble 
And they made the comment that, Misty made the comment that something very, very big would have to happen to get them off. Um, well, we find out what happens. It's the implosion of Midland Circle, which kind of covered everything up. Um, by having this implosion, it stopped the earthquakes in the city. So that kind of takes care of that. And then the NYPD, meaning Misty Nice, didn't file a report. So no charges will be filed by the city effectively. This is all taken care of by Hogarth, Benowitz and Chow. So they've sorted it all out. That's why it's no, there's going to be no effect on anybody after this act has happened. It is what it is, I suppose. Um, in terms of the cover-up, it was pure, utter trope writing to get everyone out of a tricky situation. Like, there's nothing else that they could have done. I mean, you know, we do talk of it being so realistic and so on and, and absolutely to agree with that in terms of how it's done from a, a, a superhero comic uh, kind of slant. And so in that sense, a, a massive cover-up is fine. But, I mean, there's still two dead bodies, <laughs> like Swan Day and, and Stick, where they were actively looking at them. So, yeah, it's great to have lawyers like that, I would say. I agree with John. Mm-hmm. Look, there was no other way they could do this no, absolutely. without... Starting season two of Luke Cage and Jessica Jones season two in jail. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with you, Chris. You think of the power of Luke Cage as a series and then the shock of him actually being the one to go to prison. Like, that was excellent. It was. And shocking at the same time. Here, I think because it's the Defenders, because it's the big climax and everything then that can't possibly happen. And I suppose they've got Matt, who's may or may not be at this moment dead. Wouldn't that have been an interesting ending where he is actually going to prison again and maybe even Jessica? Yeah, I don't think I could have taken Luke going to prison for the third time in the series. No, <laughs> I don't I'm think not it's... saying he should have done. I'm not saying... Or, or, or something. I do, I do agree with you, though. The way it's tied up with... Uh, Trish on the radio just announcing this to the city but I love that she even has a joke about it herself where she effectively says well that's what I'm being told um, isn't it great to live in New York at least the rent are cheap which they're not yes. which is the joke you know um, your thoughts next as as usual with uh, with Trish Walker but uh, I, I kind of like the, the kind of throwaway line about it um, Mike Coulter famously called this show the summer blockbuster version of The Defenders if you want something to just pass the time and enjoy over the summer this is the show for you he definitely didn't say that about Luke Cage. He thought of Luke Cage as a challenging, realistic show set in Harlem. Um, I think he's kind of on board with this idea. This is how you wrap up the show, and it's that means it's a summer blockbuster. It has to end on a ha- on a high note, on a happy note. So uh, that that's the way they've done it. So I think the way they could have done this was with some form of, but we're going to have a a committee is being formed to look into you guys, guys, almost like the Sokovia Accords. Basically, a version of the Sokovia Accords being put down into, which is already there, but like a committee is being formed on the basis of Sokovia Accords into finding these vigilantes and making sure that you guys do not get away. You got away with it once. You're never going to get away with it again. We have recorded so many hours of podcasts about the Defenders and talked so much about the Defenders that I can't remember whether we mentioned this because I know it was one of my points in about episode two that these guys should all be in prison the minute they're found out as being super-powered individuals who aren't registered under the Sokovia Accords. They should be in prison. Yes. Because that's the purpose of the Sokovia Accords. They are just ignored for this season. So 
you couldn't bring them in really at the end of all of this. They should that that should have happened in the precinct the minute they found out they were superpowered and didn't want to register. Unless it's time before, but I don't think it is. Nothing that's happened in Civil War, time wise, has been mentioned up to this point. Mm. So anything so I still potentially think that this is all set prior to Civil War. But there's no real way to tell. Exactly. But I think it's a nice way. That's a nice bow that you could put on. If they want to bring it back, they have the opportunity to, I suppose. Let's go on to Misty, um, where she ends up, because I think that's kind of a, a nice little moment. I think it's it's heartbreaking, um, really, as Colleen comes to visit her in hospital. Um, she says that this is Danny's hospital. And it's a state-of-the-art kind of place mm-hmm. where she's going to get a robotic arm. That, definitely. So we know for the comic books that Misty Knight gets it from Iron, Iron Man. And this time she's going to get it from Iron Fist. Uh, it's going to be giving her the... Or Iron Clad, as we shall now call him. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. This this was nice um, little scene. I think having Colleen there, I think the two of these, I'm really wanting to see them come together as Daughters of the Dragon, as I've mentioned uh, many times before. But I think just Misty's demeanour here, like she seems down and out. She's, you know, has she not filed a report because she can't, because she's lost a hand or because she's been fired, you know, because to be honest, her last interaction with her superior was that's if you're still working yep. by the time. So, you know, has she had disciplinary action while she's been at hospital and will she remain in the force? She kind of very, very much in a resigned kind of way says it's the job, you know, with almost like a little sarcastic laugh uh, to Colleen where when Colleen is really saying, you know, sorry, it's my fault. And she's like, of course, it's not. It's part of the job. I really like that. There's kind of a there's a cynicism there, I think, yeah. uh, behind Misty. Uh, and I really like that uh, in, in, in the character. Um, so th- this was a nice little wrap-up scene for these two, I thought. And I think as well, same for, for Luke and Jessica. It had to be in a bar, and there had to also be mention of coffee. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought the the, the kind of little look that uh, Luke Cage had was, was fantastic. Where Luke Cage is kind of really getting caught out by Jessica here. Um, I presume Jessica knows about Claire. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, there's kind of a bit of a wry look from, from, from Luke here, uh, as to whether there will be some coffee, uh, in the future yeah. between, between the two. Uh, but it, again, it's a nice little touch. It kind of just briefly harks back to the, uh, inside the, the cavern beneath Midland Circle where he's on top of a no iron grinder this time for the abs, sadly. Maybe a drill or something like that. I don't know. But really good. Yeah, I just like that little moment as he walks into the bar and says to Jessica, what are you on, Jessica? And she goes, my fourth. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, I just like the yeah, little quippy absolutely. moment from Jessica. But Jessica goes back to her office. She's back to where she was at the end of season one of Jessica Jones. Um, as the window has now been replaced in the office and the bullet holes are being covered up by Malcolm. So, oh yeah, we get the alias investigations door back. Yes, we do. Woo-hoo. Yes, we do. Um, we'll never find out why it was broken from the end of season one to, uh, to now. And I, I just don't know if it was actually smashed at the end of season one. I thought it was repaired right at the end of the episode, but I can't remember. Uh, but we're back anyway, ready to go for season two. And Malcolm's coming in useful, which is good. Definitely. 
And we get to see Danny on the rooftop of Hell's Kitchen as well in his proto costume. This for me was fantastic. Actually, to begin with, when he's silhouetted against sort of the, the, the evening sunset, I was convinced it was Daredevil. Absolutely. Um, I really did. And I think this is where potentially we might get the Ed Brubaker, uh, run. Uh, where Danny Rand does, for a very brief period, take on uh, the mantle of Daredevil, puts on the costume in order to protect um, Matt's secret identity uh, when he's in prison to show that Matt isn't actually Daredevil uh, and he's been wrongly imprisoned. So you never know, we may get this... um, or an element or a little flavor of this Brubacker run uh, for a very brief period of time within Daredevil Season 3, maybe for an episode or so. But I thought this was really cool. And then you just see his fist light up. Uh, and he's he's looking a bit more costumey. Um, he's kind of got his proto-costume, the, the, the tracksuit-type uh, costume that... Chris mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. as well. And this is all coming from a little whisper that occurred as, as Matt was telling the, the other guys to leave whilst he remained with Electra and he pulls Danny to one side and Danny, um, in this multiple endings of, uh, this episode indicates that he said to protect my city. I'm just wondering, was there a little bit more that he whispered to Danny other than just that? But I mean, that was awesome. I, I really have absolutely enjoyed Finn Jones as Danny Rand in The Defenders. I, I think uh, the character has been uh, captured an awful lot better. I know there's been a few niggles yes. for myself, but I think on the whole, I, I think Danny has been captured really much better uh, in this Defenders series. And I just loved him on the rooftop there with his new proto uh, suit or costume. Definitely, yeah, that was really cool. And I am convinced there was more to that message from Danny. There was enough there to say, go to my office, it's in the box, I have a spare suit in there. All you have to do is learn how to use my billy clubs and then you can take on the role as Daredevil to protect my city. And then Danny just used to protect my city. Definitely had enough time to say that. I'm hoping to see Danny as Daredevil in a future episode of, of Daredevil Season 3. Yeah. I think I think they will. I think not only is that run fantastic, even though the little bit of that Iron Fist is in that Daredevil run is quite small, we still do get to see Daniel Rand as Daredevil, which was great. Yeah. I think you guys are right. There was definitely more than Protect My City in that closing moment. Otherwise, he spoke really slowly which just doesn't seem like he would do that in a tense moment or otherwise he would have just shouted it out to jessica luke and danny because exactly. all three of them can protect the city right exactly yeah yeah i i like this ending i love that proto suit yes that's what i was trying to discuss earlier that track suit like where it's down the deep 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 v zipper is down and i thought that was great the coffee moment for luke and jessica like for me, that screams, I'm hoping something has happened with his relationship with Claire. Uh, so horrible. For me, these two are always together. Like, this this is the MJ mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Don't put that baggage on them. I know, but it's... It, it's I, I didn't grow up on Alias. I actually came into Alias quite late. My first... Inter- some of my first interactions with these two characters 
was the Avengers run post Civil War or post mm. it was post Civil War where they're the Avengers, the new Avengers, I think that was the run, excuse me. And they they were together as that and then later ha- and had their kid and they were the tight knit family. For me that was brilliant. Like I, that's how I kind of got very tied to these characters. So right. I know they may not like this is fine. There may be that Will they, won't they, until Luke Cage season five and Jessica Jones season five. That's yeah. fine. I will do that little girly squeal the moment we get them back together. It's going to be interesting. But hey, you never know. There's nice nice little moments there. Again, love the moment between Claire and Luke and Foggy in the room as Foggy's kind of finishing off that discussion. Love that Luke comforts him and, and, uh, and then Claire takes him aside and says, don't worry, everything you did for Matt, there's nothing more you could have done if you were there, you would have known there was no talking him down. He loved the city and the people in it more than he loved himself. Um, there's absolutely nothing you could do, Foggy. And Foggy takes it going, I can't help but blame myself. I always will. So um, that is that is the essential Foggy. It's the essential Claire. It's why I've loved her since the first time we saw her. She's the right person in those types of situations to deal with people going through tough times. It does help Foggy because he does... It does give him the ability to go and comfort Karen uh, in the church. But yeah, this is definitely going to have an impact on both of those characters. Even if Matt does come back and sync back up with Foggy and Karen, which he probably will in, in season three, they're going to have a lot of, of problems going through these these moments of thinking that they've lost Matt. And that's a, it's a, a kind of a, a good way to end for those characters. I have to agree. Like I, I thought this was poignant. It was the perfect way to end with this. Although... It leads up to perfectly why potentially Iron Fist will take on some form of the mantle or Man in Black or the the actual the Devil of Hell's Kitchen because they mention that both Matt and the Devil of Hell's Kitchen were both missing on the same day. So having that like literally stated, it kind of leads to okay. So now we know we will get that, but doing it in the church where we know Matt has. I was expecting Father Latham mm-hmm. to come across and have some very small cameo, kind of, again, just kind of go and talk to them. Um, but we didn't get that, which is fine. We'll probably get that later on. But we did get the most important scene of this whole episode, or the end, of all the endings, we got the most important scene, which was Matt. Absolutely. I'm so happy. But we were spoiled. So we really were spoiled with this ending that we got. It was fantastic. We got Matt there in what we assume is some form of nunnery. And we get a Sister Maggie being called for. Which yes. is none other. Now, I'm. it's been called out in our group in some of the, the comments. Like, this is the Frank Miller born again one. Or some variation form of it. This is beautiful every fan of daredevils probably top five uh this is his run so it's really going to be interesting guys what did you think yeah and it's thanks to john tara hickley for pointing out that it was the frank miller run where we see Matt in the bed direct from that comic run so uh yeah that got my memory sparking again thanks for that because yeah absolutely i was kind of there going uh, this scene seems very familiar. Definitely. And then it was like, ah, yeah, of course, that was what it was from. 
love this and hopefully we get mummy maggie uh coming in yes that was me who probably spoiled it in the uh, in the facebook group as well but uh, yeah this was a, uh, a nice little um homage to to the comics and um, we certainly knew that matt probably was going to survive uh, given season three having been announced for me it's brilliant and also a nice little bit of intrigue because you're going, well, hopefully then Electra survives as well. And whilst I think Murakami probably bought it at the bottom of that uh, lift, I really hope to see uh, Madame Gal back in some form or another, probably with an even more crooked back, given <laughs> that an entire building fell on it or something like that. Absolutely. Um, you know, her arthritis is really playing up now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, it's a great moment. I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, I did, I did notice the call out for Sister Maggie the minute I heard it. I knew it was connected to the comics because I've, I've known about Sister Maggie, but, uh, but apparently the staging of the scene is exactly like the panel in Born Again by Frank Miller. It's under different circumstances, uh, which I won't go into because it is a great book. Go out and find it and read it. Uh, really good. Uh, those are all of our top five points for the episode. Um, guys, any notes for the episode? Uh, I have two. And it's kind of, I'm not going to lie, one of them I kind of mentioned earlier. Okay. The nurse on duty attending Misty in the hospital scene is Linda Carter. Oh, brilliant. And no, I'm going to make the same joke again. No, that's not Wonder Woman. This is the original night nurse who, as I kind of said, was called out before Claire. She was the original night nurse from the comics, Linda yeah, Carter. Yeah. Yeah. And then the two doctors on the on the, the slip that they had there beside the nurse in attendance was Tony Isabella and uh, Alvarell Jones, who are the creators of Misty Night. Nice. So it was a nice, nice call out to them there, especially... Very cool. Especially that she's getting her bionic arm. That was her origin scene. There you go. That's the, the, two, the two creators there. Excellent. I mean, we finally get in this episode. How many? Yeah, uh, how many Easter eggs did we get, Chris, in this episode? After we got a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good. Huh. Yeah, Very I was cool. happy. And then finally, John uh, mentioned it earlier that the Iron Fist taking on uh, the mantle that was Daredevil, the Devil inside and out. That was that. Right. Right. Very cool. Another one to go and check out. Yes. Um, okay. So on to defend, Chris. Do you defend the final episode of The Defenders on Netflix? Um, this is the highest rating of any of The Defenders episodes so far. This is better than the opening for me. It's the culmination of so many story threads. It They had us questioning. It's just... We could it have done with another hour tacked on like this a two hour special or an hour and a half special yes but it was beautiful the the multiple endings where it leaves us at the end of phase one of the marvel netflix universe this is beautiful they, they've set it up the right way they've teased some amazing pieces coming what we can expect like they they, they did it instead of doing a post-credit scene they did a pre-credit 15 minutes <laughs> ten, it felt like 15 minutes but it was a full 10 minutes the fight was perfect the, it was like the it's the Avengers scene I wanted for the Defenders we got that I will always see LD Young and Charlie Cox now in that that embrace where she is holding him from behind and they're about to die together like that was beautiful it was fantastic mm-hmm. so yes I completely defend this and I will argue with anyone who doesn't 
because this was for all of the slip ups that this season has, or this like being slightly too too short, the pacing sometimes being too fast. This makes it all worthwhile. This makes the the culmination of eight hours of content worth it because it sets you up for the defenders too. It sets you up for phase two. It sets you up with more questions. Oh, I want to know what happens next. Give me Daredevil Season 3. Give me Luke Cage Season 2. Give me Jessica Jones Season 2. Give me Iron Fist Season 2 as well now. I now care even more what, like, I think they could do so much with this character now. So, to end the Defenders, literally called the Defenders episode, I completely defend this. And I I want... I think this is is necessary viewing for most people. If you've even watched one of these series, you need to watch this culmination because it shows you what what these shows can be. Derek, do you defend this final episode of The Defenders? I absolutely defend this final episode. I defend the entire series. It's uh, it's fantastic. It's it's absolutely what I wanted to see. And yeah, my only complaint is that it's, uh, it should have been longer. Um, it's eight episodes long. The secondary characters or supporting characters get completely lost in the show. And the only reason for that is because it's so tight. It's focused on our four main characters. And it needs to be because that's what people paid the ticket to go and watch it for, I guess. That's what they got Netflix for, to watch this series of eight episodes of uh, those four characters together. But I love the supporting characters, so I would like to see more of them. Um, But overall, I have no complaints. This was an excellent, really fun episode. And I enjoyed talking about it again with you guys. John, do you defend the final episode of The Defenders on Netflix? I do defend the final episode of The Defenders on on Netflix. Yeah, I would give this four The Return of the King endings out of five. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, this was a great, um, great wrap-up here and with so much intrigue as to what could come in either a... Well, in particular, the individual seasons of the Defenders coming coming up, whether it be their second season or their third season. There's some real intrigue left at the end of this. Uh, and I think that's really important for this because all roads of those individual series previously have been coming towards this show. And yeah. it's really... Um, it's really worked. I think it was great getting the the big fight scene, the big the defenders scene where all four of them are together seeing the iron fist using his iron fist time and time again i just thought was fantastic i think electra has been just fantastic as well and i love that final scene between her and matt murdoch i really enjoyed seeing the three ladies there as well at the top of the whole laying the explosives with misty uh, Colleen and uh, and Claire. It was great to see Colleen take off Bakuto's head. It was great for Claire to get her moment. It was good to see Misty finally have her arm chopped off so that she can have that origin moment. Uh, as you say, Chris, I think uh, she is such a good uh, supporting character. And I mean, Jessica for me has really shone uh, in this episode and across all the other episodes as well, I think. I've loved her wit, her spark, um, her slyness, her sassiness, 
all of that. Absolutely fantastic. It's pretty good that probably we've seen uh, the last of the hand for a while. I really, having said that though, I also hope that Electra uh, and Madame Gao survive that implosion of, of the building uh, along with Matt because I, I think there's two really good characters uh, for me. I think Electra just has sparkled uh, in her more evil role. And Gao for me has been the Claire Temple of the other side. Um, she really has connected through Wilson Fisk, uh, through the hand, and through Iron Fist, Daredevil, so well. And, and her actually having such a nice, meaty, chunky role uh, in the Defenders has been cool as well. Um, so yeah, a, a great finale to, to this series. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we should get on to feedback. We've got a fair bit of feedback for this finale episode. And most of it comes in from our Facebook group. Just come on over and join us over on facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Chris, do you want to take the first one? I will. Debbie Fisher wrote in and said, didn't realise Jessica Jones was so strong, holding up the elevator with the cables. Loved her being bait. Kept wondering when the heck Manton Lecture would get out. And finally, the end with Manton Hospital or wherever he was. Of course we knew he'd be fine, but goodness. <laughs> Jeff Charles says, loved the Defenders. So we know Matt survived somehow, and I assume that's where DD Season 3 starts. Did anyone else survive? Wouldn't be surprised if Madame Gay survived. So on your side there, John. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. And John Tara Higley says, that shot at the end with Matt in the bears being lifted from the Frank Miller run was an excellent choice. Looks like we'll get to meet Matt's mom. Uh, thank you so much, John, for uh, getting my memory into gear because, yeah, it's such a iconic scene uh, that Frank Miller puts uh, within uh, the Daredevil series and run that he did. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping uh, as well, not only with Frank Miller, but that a bit of Brubacker uh, enters into uh, season three of Daredevil. Michael Booth went on to say, oh, Gao is totally still around. She got some of the bones, remember? No way we've seen the last of her. And yeah, outside of the quote, yeah, we all agree with you on that, Mike. Mm -hmm. He went on to say, that end scene with Luke and Jess, though, sounds like they're keeping a future coffee date open. <laughs> it really oh, does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, a, at a DIY store, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of imagine that Gao was, like, sucking the marrow out of the bone that she's got to make sure that she survives the implosion. <laughs> she's just underneath, the, underneath yeah. the imploded building. Yeah. And on that note, Tina Brown says... Wish they had not actually announced Daredevil Season 3 before the finale. It took a little of the tension out of the final moments, but unbelievably good. I'll admit the music over the fight scene took me out of it for a minute the first time I watched, but on repeat viewing, it was a great call. Uh, and Michael Booth goes on and agrees and says, the sudden tone shift in music threw me as well. Uh, yeah, the tune that they chose for that scene was um, Protect Your Neck by Wu-Tang Clan. Um, it, I have to say, the first time I heard it, it just seemed completely out of place. They have kind of lent on the score for a lot of this season, and having a, uh, such a standout rap song in the middle of a battle sequence seemed incongruous to the kind of music they played most of the season so far. But it is kind of the big moment where the four defenders are fighting side by side um, against the hand in the final episode. So 
it should be a tone shift. It should feel different. So yeah, definitely the next time, the second time I saw it, uh, it felt much better. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It really worked. I think the second time around, I think it just pulls them together. It's kind of that, it's that street music. Um, okay. It would have been nice for a big expansive orchestral piece, but it felt as though we got that in the Royal Dragon. And I think this helps bring them back down to, to their, their street roots. Um, definitely. Claire Payne went on to say, Overall, The Defenders was a very, very good series. Looking forward to future individual series and hoping another season of The Defenders. Mm-hmm. Claire, I can pretty much guarantee it. At this point, we'll get some form of Defenders Season 2 announced, potentially at uh, New York Comic Con in October, or what we may get is... What, guys, do you think San Diego next year at a stretch? Uh, I'd say San Diego next year, maybe New York Comic Con next year, yeah. John Tara Higley came in then to say, For a hot minute, I entertained the thought that they were going to do the Brubacher thing for season three, where Danny Rand wore the Daredevil outfit to protect Man's identity when he was in prison, witness protection. But in this instance, he, because he's presumed dead, wait, that could still work. Daredevil season three, Man is alive, but no one knows it. He's recovering in the convent somewhere. Danny Rand takes on the role of Daredevil to fight crime while playing hero in more rich guy with resources way in the boardroom. Matt Murdock recovers and we get a Daredevil versus Daredevil fight on the roof of some building in New York City. Iron Fist gives himself away by getting frustrated with the battle and harnessing his chi into the Iron Fist. Everyone is friends again, but Matt takes Danny to Melvin Potter to get a proper costume protection suit made. And we finally get the Iron Fist in his actual costume. Meanwhile, I'm assuming this is all B story to an A story involving Wilson Fisk out of prison and looking for revenge. Now we get to see how he builds an empire. Bullseye is heavily involved. Maybe Black Cat to play off an Iron Fist and Daredevil as an anti-hero. Meanwhile, we get Foggy and Karen dealing with Matt's death. He returns to Foggy first. Have you told Karen? Pops up. Brief spot. All the while, Matt is having a crisis of self with his knowledge that his mum is alive and a nun. Maybe he questions his faith in the process. No hand stuff other than Fisk using their departure as an opportunity to gain traction for his new empire. Oh, and he makes himself known to Karen because he needs her status as a reporter to take down Fisk like he did with Ulrich in season one. Is this practical or selfish? Arguments ensues. We get triumph when everyone is on... the same page for the greater good also we need to explore Karen's past a bit in more maybe something from her past comes up she deals with it on her own like she did with the Punisher things don't go according to plan we end things with Karen and Matt together but Karen's past for us are a bit of a dark cloud and at some point we see inklings of the bad road she will go down in the future wow Tom, John Tara Higley should yeah. be on in the writer's room for Dead Hell season 3 Absolutely. Um, I love the, the idea of Iron Fist finally getting his suit, but through Melvin Potter and, and from Matt taking him there after he's been helping Matt out by mm-hmm. pretending to be Daredevil. That'd be really cool. Bullseye, I really want to see involved heavily in a Daredevil season three. Definitely. Definitely, given that we got a little Easter egg of him in season one with the playing card. In the, the sniper bag where there is the, the presumably bullseye dressed as a cop on, on top of one of the roofs. Mm. Yeah, so that would be very cool um, for sure. Can we and have Colin Farrell back as bullseye? No. <laughs> 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 bullseye. Yeah, thanks so much for that, John Tyreke. That was really, really good. 
Tina Brown says, yeah, as much as I love Gao, the hand need to be retired for a while or you risk ninja overload. And D'Onofrio is brilliant. Really, these shows have been the jewels they are because of the amazing villain casting. It's not just stunt casting, but getting fantastic actors who commit to the parts. David Tennant and Sigourney Weaver were just incredible. Plus, they get the best clothes. Definitely. Rebecca Hart goes on. I like Danny's proto Iron Fist costume in that shot of him on the roof. Very appreciated. Uh, couldn't agree with you more, Rebecca. This hopefully is the start of things to come for the Iron Fist costume, definitely. And Conman Stevens goes, Danny Daredevil for sure. But it makes me wonder how much of season three that will take up. Uh, I'm definitely feeling like six episode arc, but could even be shorter. Makes me wonder also about the inclusion of Born Again and how that will work in its transferred form. Will we get Bullseye? Will we get Nuke? Will the hand either bugger off or get better written? I don't know. I'd love to see Typhoid Murray or Echo as a new villain for Daredevil Season 3. Also, really thought we were going to get another Misty cop-out with that whole arm business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes, I know we're going down a slight Daredevil Season 3 path at the moment, but I think a, a lot of what we see at the end here of The Defenders... Uh, really does hint at certain Daredevil story runs in, in the comics, um, which would be great to see. Yeah, Bullseye, I'm absolutely all for, for, for seeing. And I think the hand do need to move back into the shadows yes, for, yeah. for a bit, for sure. Isn't um, it cool how many of these characters we've actually seen over the course of the seasons? We've seen Nuke over in Jessica Jones. We've postulated that yeah. we've seen Typhoid Mary over on Jessica Jones, but I think it's actually a different actress that's going to be playing her in Daredevil Season 3 or in Jessica Jones Season 2. I can't remember which one she's been cast in, actually. Um, but how many of these characters that make up quite a significant storyline in the life of Daredevil uh, we've already seen in the shows? It's quite cool. Yeah, and Connorman, I, you and me, dude, we're on the same page here about Misty and the cop-out. Look, look, <laughs> literally, I'm pretty sure you wrote this as I was recording. So, dude, I swear I didn't take your take your feedback. I'm now just thinking, we're, we're that in sync. We've got Unagi here, man. <laughs> and to close off the feedback section, we got Jeff Childs went to say, that scene with everyone reuniting at the police station then Karen and Foggy just standing there, dot, dot, dot. Jeff, dude, like this was the most emotional scene, as I told you in this episode for me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm completely, I've got the dot, dot, dot there too. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Um, that was a really uh, standout moment, I think, from from the precinct in this episode. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for all uh, the feedback and of course we have our competition or should I say prize draw it is the usual baseball cap and we will pick out uh, a winner from everyone who has featured on our feedback um, for this season of the Defenders yes we have Cooper in the house no they're not <laughs> we cannot claim that, John. I've said it to you before. No, we, we can't, can't claim it. Um, Chris, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to pick this. Yes, unless um, it becomes like a razor head or, or something uh, similarly like weird and wacky. You can come through the computer screen and pick no, it can't. a name out of the hat. Unfortunately, he's not able to. So, John, I'm going to shake it, and then you can pick the name. John, dig deep. There's been quite a lot of feedback this season. Absolutely, it's been tons. Yes, so here we go. 
But a big congratulations to Lisa Richardson for her feedback. She, your name has been picked from the hat. Um, yeah, so you get um, a selection of comic runs, recent comic runs for all of the individual uh, defenders, including Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and the Iron Fist, as well as the first four comics from the recent Defenders run as well. So Correct. a nice yeah. big selection of Defenders reading for you there. Big congratulations, Lisa. Well done. Absolutely well done, Lisa. Hopefully you enjoy reading those while we're off air for a little while up until we get back with Thor Ragnarok in October. Thanks to everybody that has sent us in feedback throughout this season. It's been really, really good to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, along with Lisa and along with everyone else who's provided uh, feedback, thank you so much. Uh, it really adds to the community of uh, Defenders TV podcast and I think the Defenders community uh, as well. All your thoughts, comments, theories, postulations uh, and whatnot. It's absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for all all of those discussions on all of the different uh, ways that you can provide them by. Uh, it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, guys, I can't express how much the the group that we've built over the last 120 episodes um, that you fellow defenders being there providing feedback for us for the show, talking out, listening to my crazy theories about a hand coming out of a hole. Don't know what that is? Go back <laughs> in time and listen to our Daredevil two season two coverage. Technically, they did come out of the hole in the elevator, didn't they? It did. Look, I'm just saying, I should be a writer there. It really means a lot to us that uh, you come and you love the show as much as you do, but you also come and you you share your your own theories, your own feedback with us in this group. But I'm going to use this part for a plug because, hell, why not? Share your love of the show, the Defenders, the universe, and of course us. Uh, with your friends if you think that some of your friends might be interested in any of these uh, shows that we've covered send them a link to iTunes Mm -hmm. even better send them a link to the group even better tell your granny why because I think grannies really like this show I don't know why (laughs) I suddenly got it into my head at the beginning of this season that grannies like the defenders I don't know why but hey potentially they do so it would mean a lot to all of us here at the Defender TV Podcast if you could tell your friends about us, be it on the group or even just writing a review and sharing the love via the podcasts. Be it on any good or evil podcast catcher or DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes so that you can spread the word, spread the love for us. And don't forget, tell your granny. Thanks so much for joining us throughout the season. It's been really good. This is actually the fastest we have ever podcasted. So we kind of pod binged on this. We did four episodes before the show was launched, one episode after that, and we've done three episodes in a week now. So pretty fast. Thanks so much for your support and thanks so much for your feedback throughout the series. It's been really good. Guys, thanks so much for recording with us. Been fun? Absolutely, yeah. You're very welcome. That's 2,000 euros, please. (laughs) The bills and invoices in the mail. Thank you so much, everyone. Yes, so we will be back with our next episode, which will be looking at Thor Ragnarok in October. And that will be followed, hopefully closely, by The Punisher, which will be available through all Defenders or hand-supporting podcast platforms. So please stay subscribed. As Madam Gao said, this is the end, but only of this 
eight podcast series of The Defenders. Or maybe she said, ah, as an entire building fell on her. But as always, it is a pleasure uh, speaking with you. And we'll speak with you again next time. Thanks, fellow Defenders. Thank you. Thanks, fellow Defenders. Bye. Before we knew about Matt, I was like, Matt survived. Please, seriously, I'm not in Hell's Kitchen. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I think the apocalypse has come to Dublin. Yeah. I did think that this part was going to be the death of Claire. That's what mm-hmm. pushes the Daughters of the Dragon together. And also cements... <laughs> Jesus. What the actual Where's Daredevil when you need him? Probably going wherever they are. <laughs> Thank you so much everyone. We'll be back with Thor Ragnarok in October, followed by The Punisher, which will be available through all defenders and hand supporting podcast platforms in the next few weeks. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I just read you what was there. Oh my god. (laughs) You're so good at reading, Chris. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. Let's let's get this one line and then we're done. That's it. Just remember to tell them about iTunes, Chris. It's been a long day for me. Dude, it's longer here. I know, I know. That's why I'm trying to shut it up. Thank you very Thank you so much, guys. Our next episode will be Thor Ragnarok in October. Followed by, of course, The Punisher later this year. So, don't forget, join us for Thor Republic. I, I just... Punisher. The Punisher. The Publisher. Join us for Microsoft Publisher. The new <laughs> podcast. Please close this. I can't speak anymore. Just say goodbye, Chris. And goodbye, John, will, Chris. John, will, John will close out with our next episode. So. Okay. I will like, okay. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, our next episode will be Thor Ragnarok in October, uh, and that will be followed by The Punisher, uh, which will be available through all, of course, the Defenders or hand-supporting podcast platforms in the next week. And <laughs> God, you did exactly the same thing as Chris. But aren't we supposed to do that? You no, because said... not in the next week was the problem oh, yeah. that he has. We'll just take... I'm going to delete that. What happened to me? I know. This is the extended outtake.